Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God Jump right in. Um, bow your heads. You don't have to bow your heads, really. You can just close your eyes. I don't know why I said that. Jesus, this is your word. It's needed. And this message in particular has been on my heart for two and a half years. So it's probably going to be terrible. Make it good, Jesus. Make it beautiful. Make it hearable. I believe this to be your heart for our community. And I ask that it goes forward in such grace that it's receivable and it lands on good fertile soil and grows to reproduce 30, 60, even 100 fold in our lives, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, so last week for those of you who were here, I, I gave you guys a description of an, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a vision, but sometimes when the Lord speaks to me, it's definitely through pictures and I was having a really, I was having, I was grieving. I couldn't figure out last week I was grieving and I don't have the feeling I had last week a lot. And so I was talking to Sarah about it and I told you guys I got this picture. Um, it's almost a sad, it's a sad picture, but it's real of the Holy Spirit sitting in the corner of a room wanting to be invited into the center of the action. And the room represented our lives, our church, your life, your church. And then this image of him being invited into that center and like almost like floral patterns, which life coming forward for it. And then I explained to me, the Holy Spirit's activity does not equal loud, crazy, do whatever you want. It equals the fruit of the Spirit and then the gifts of the Spirit follow. That's, what, that's my beliefs on it. You judge people by their fruits and all of it's applicable. The whole word of God is true and real for us. I believe that. And I felt a burden. And then last week I felt like we were supposed to pray into pots and just pots, which we did. This week, I feel like I'm supposed to talk about self-control. Everybody say self-control. Thank you. (laughs) All right, so 
Real quick, though, the Bible is where we preach from, okay? And in the Bible, I think we tend to agree with people who say what we already think. So here's, this might be a little bit of a curveball. Whenever you hear a preacher or a church say, we only preach the Word of God, that's not really a great statement to make, right? Because we all have our perception of what the Word is saying. That is truth, and the way I know it's truth is, how many sermons have you heard where they said, if you don't give your offering, you're going to be killed on the spot? That literally happened in the New Testament. People withhold. So we have all perceived together, God's probably not trying to kill everybody, right? So in our estimation, what, there's, there's a message there, right? It's a metaphor, right? This is really the way that the Word is, which is why the Word is meant for community led by the Spirit. People have done terrible things in the name of the Word, namely the devil to Jesus in the wilderness was one, right? The enemy through the, the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees and all of it, basically telling everybody, if you don't do this, adding heaping burning coals onto people through the Word. So you need community. Here's my point, though. The Word is not meant to tell you all the things you already know, right? We like that, and we like to be a part of groups that say all the things that we think are right, but the Word is meant to challenge us in ways that once we step away from it, we have to be like, that's not what I saw coming. How do I interact with that? Why did that happen? The Word should make you at times go, this is not what I saw coming. It's definitely not my framework. It should challenge you in that way. That's the Word. If you only hear things that already say all the things you know, it's not really the word. That's your word because it's what you already know. We don't need just our word, right? This passage happens to be one that does that to me. As pastor, when I read this, it did that to me. I didn't like it. I didn't want to preach it that way. It would have been easier to just preach it my way, but the Lord wasn't wanting me to do that, so I'm going to preach it his way, because we only preach the word here. <laughs> That's such a loaded statement. Really, when people say that, I think what, they are, what they're actually saying is nobody else preaches the word we do. It's a way to like, you know what I'm saying? We all have a perception of what the word is saying. That's why when I preach sometimes, you hear something I didn't even preach. There's literally times people come up and they're like, bro, that message you preach when you talked about this was phenomenal. I, had no, I didn't even talk about it. So even what I perceived to be what I was saying wasn't even heard, and it's just, that's even my understanding of the word. We all look at a passage. We all see different things. We're all challenged different ways. That's beautiful, right? That doesn't mean that you monopolize what you think is happening. That means you bring that to community. Let's talk about this. Why did God kill Ananias and Sapphira? I don't get it. Why? I really don't get that. So that's me just being like, I don't get it. You know, like, I know that there's some good theology back there behind that. I understand that you probably have a, a view of that. Why, when they withheld, were they consumed? That's crazy. Do I believe that the word's not real and I'm mad at it and I don't want to study it now? I don't. I believe it is real. I believe it's trying to say something. I believe that if I can interact with it in a way, it will show me what it needs to reveal in me and what needs to come out of me through that, right? That's the word. It's beautiful like that. That's why you can't read it quickly. That's why it has to be read, has to be heard. You can't do spirituality, Christianity without it. It's just something that needs to take place. You need to have tough conversations with the words in community. All right. So, self-control. I struggled with this as I prepped. 
Because for two and a half years, if I would have preached this message, it probably wouldn't have been because I want you to understand what self-control and what it leads to. It probably would have been because you can look a certain way if you do certain things, and people might think you're a little holier. And as a church is growing, anything that might cause people to think differently about us, I don't want to have that happen because I'm afraid we might not grow healthily. That's what would have happened. That's not what's going to happen today. Because self-control is a good thing. It's a very good thing. Self-control is not control. Control is not a good thing. We've all been controlled. It's not fun. Nobody wants to be controlled. I'm an Enneagram 8, which many of you don't know what that is, but I found out recently that me being controlled is like my hell. So don't try and control me because I'll just want to run into the woods and like create my own new life in the woods. So nobody likes to be controlled, but self-control, it's beautiful. It's a good thing. When I was in college at a Christian university, my freshman year there, I wasn't supposed to be in college yet. I didn't graduate high school. I was a drug addict in high school, lucky to be there. I show up. For some reason, at this Christian school, I start hanging out with the whole basketball team. That just sounds like a story already. I'm hanging out with the whole basketball team. Like it's, but I am. And one Friday night, we went out, me and some friends of mine and all of them. And it was just one of those nights where like bad things continually kept happening. It's like everything was like... This. This is pretty bad. So at about 3 in the morning, which is how all really holy stories start, (laughs) we ended up at somebody's huge house and in their basement, and it was all of the basketball team and this crew of people that worked at Applebee's, which is another good way to start a story, (laughs) because Applebee's people, just kidding. So we were all, how much, we got kids in here. This is hard when kids in here. We are all not um, clear thinking, if you, know, if you understand what I'm saying. And in the middle of this room, the worst fight I have ever seen in person or on TV breaks out. And these are all huge. This is a basketball team of people who are good basketball players. They were number one in their division. So it's like six, eight guys, seven footers, and then JT. Like, <laughs> I'm literally like... And it just, it, lit, it was like slow motion, like this happened. I, see, I saw one dude form tackle one dude. Worst thing I've ever seen in a fight. I saw one guy, ah, I can't say any. <laughs> There's children in here. Okay, guys, turn your heads. I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, this one guy had his head against the wall, and another guy was just over and over again. And I make my way over to a couch, and I'm like... <laughs> When I, when I get to college, I literally weigh 140 pounds. 140 pounds, I'm in this room. I somehow don't get hurt that night. I think it was because I was crying in the fetal position. <laughs> That's probably really scary for some people to see because I'm intimidating. Um, but it was a good picture to me of what happens when there is zero self-control. Nobody cares about anybody else. You're going to throw the first punch. You're going to make sure you don't get hurt. And it made me think, self-control is a good thing. Self-control in Christianity is actually led by the Spirit. Self-control. So to me, it's not a bad thing. The reason I I felt so strongly about sharing this message is because Christianity is at a place right now where with this new generation, the millennials... It's hard to kind of get a footing on what's, what's what. And this generation needs people who know how to walk in self-control. 
They don't need people who control. They need to see people who know how to walk in self-control. That's two different stories. Three weeks ago, I preached about drinking and how when I came into this network, it was the first time I had seen drinking be acceptable in a church environment. And I didn't know what to do with that. At first, it was really hard for me. I was very judgmental, um, just to be honest. Like people posting like every picture has a martini or a beer. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's, it's, it's freedom for you. I get it. But like everything doesn't have to be about alcohol, does it? Like not everything. It was hard for me. And then God really started to burden my heart because I thought, I don't want my kids to drink because drinking is evil and we're all going to hell if we drink, right? Which is not the truth, of course. And so I've seen in my wife the ability to consume large amounts. I'm just kidding. It's two times it worked. Boom. That joke worked twice. That's a good joke. She's able to consume a glass of wine and show our kids self-control. I am unable to do that. Me being honest with you, I'm not trying to glorify anything. I have no ability to turn off things that make my behavior change or things that can affect me in any kind of way. I know that about me. So they get to hear from me, self-control from your daddy is, I don't get to drink. Self-control from, because like just that statement should show you. I shouldn't be drinking. I don't even get to drink, kids. (laughs) Just that. But Sarah's like, never had more than that. It's like crazy. That doesn't even make sense to me. So this brought this to the forefront of my life to say, we have to model self-control. Because it's not also just about everyone can do whatever I'm doing. Everyone can do this. Really big thing about why this is hard for me is for me, as an eight in the Enneagram, which again, most of you had no clue what that is, I go all out for everything. If I have a thought, I'm going to do it right then. If I want to get something done, I'm going to cover it right then. If I think something can be fixed, I'm going to do it right then. People brag about how that maybe I'm very driven. It's really not even anything to do with that. I want things to be fixed quick. So I know for me, like, as I started to pray about this two and a half weeks ago, I think I had had a dessert for seven nights in a row. Literally seven nights in a row. This sounds stupid to you, maybe. I had a bag of popcorn with that dessert seven nights in a row. Actually, team, they teamed up. I had a Diet Coke. This is not at seven. This is at 11 at night. And it's, I know from, I share too much, but it's what I do. So I had to, God had to stir in me, okay, like it can surface in ways other than alcohol. Of course it can. It's not about alcohol. It's not about the thing. It's about the person behind the thing. These abuses of liberties that I use that are harming me, and the way that I know they're harming me is that my pants don't fit anymore, (laughs) and that's just the truth. So I made some decisions, right? I'm a better version of me, maybe. No, not yet. So it's a good, but there's there's a tension that I want to talk about today. There's a tension between Christian freedom and being religious. And we get to figure out how to pray through what that tension is. But the tension is always less important than keeping the other person in mind when you're doing it, whatever it is. So here's a heads up for you. If you bring a keg to my house, I will want to drink with you. And it is not okay for me. Do I want you to hide stuff from me? Absolutely not. Just be aware that I am not strong in that area. 
Does that make sense? And you, as my brother in Christ and sister in Christ, need to be aware that I am not strong in that area. Okay? Does that make sense? If you have buckets of ice cream you want to bring over, same deal. I'm with you. Three in the morning, we're just grubbing. Come on. Let's rub it on our faces and our bodies. So, close your eyes with me real quick. As I read these passages to you, I want to ask you a really just blatant question. Not outside the church. I'm not asking if you hate some political person or if you hate something or if you're really against some, something matters or not against it. I'm not asking any of that. I'm asking who within the church right now do you find yourself being super critical of? Judging? Who within this church, any church, do you find it hard to be around because how could they? Who in your mind is a how could they person that you have disdain for and you just cannot see why they do not change right now? Do they not know? Who in your mind, because all of us have them, guys. I'm just, that's reality. All of us have them. Who is that person? I pray, God, that you would reveal to us as we walk through these passages who the people are in our lives that you've placed to show us it's not about these grays, but it's about Christian unity and some things we don't have to actually fight over. Who are those people that are rubbing us the wrong way that we can make room for, make space for, and we can encourage and build up? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So backdrop to this passage. In this passage I'm about to read you, there's two groups, okay? There's one group who had come out of a tradition that certain days were very important by religious law, and certain food laws were very important, also by Levitical law, and you just didn't eat them, and you didn't do anything on those days, and that's what happened. There's one group that has that. There's another group who has heard the message of the gospel that did not come out of that, that is not concerned about how important a certain day is or how important a certain food is. They have experienced what's called Christian liberty and freedom, and Paul is in agreement with them, okay? First and foremost, this is the instant part that already started challenging me. Paul is not fighting that we keep days holy. Paul here in this passage I'm about to read is saying, there is now a new liberty found in Christ Jesus for you. It's called Christian freedom, and it brings life, and it gives you life. And it means that you can live fully now in the kingdom now, and you're not attaining towards a goal by how you've kept your days and your meals. Does that make sense? So these two groups have started to do this. They have started to fight. They have started to bicker. They have started to say, why are you eating on this day? Do you not know what today is? They've started to say, why are you eating that? That is disgusting and unclean legitimately, you should be put outside of the camp. Why are you doing that? You're a Christian brother. Do you not know any better than this? And Paul comes into the equation, and this is the passage. If you'll open your Bibles to Romans 14. Who already knew it was Romans 14? Bible scholars. All right. I'm glad you didn't raise your hand. That would have been pride. So that's good. So Romans 14. Do you have it, um, Judith, up on the screen? Okay. I'm going to read you from my Bible. Hopefully it's the same. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One's man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another's man's faith, who, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. 
Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will stand before God's judgment seat. It is risen. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account to himself, just clarity, not to themselves or herself or his self. Each one of us will give an account to himself, to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is the Lord Jesus, I am fully con- as one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it's unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are to know you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work for the sake of food. All food is clean, but if it is wrong for men to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine, or to do anything that will cause your brother to fall. So whether you believe about these things, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. A lot there, right? So, interesting thing for me right off the bat, that Paul labels pretty quickly who the weak and the strong are in this passage. I was not expecting this. He labels the strong to be those walking in Christian freedom, those not concerned about what days are holy and what days are not holy, and those not concerned about what foods are clean. And he calls those, the ones that are concerned with those, the weak. I think for much of Christianity, we would not see that coming. That person follows the letter of the law. That person keeps that the way it should be. We would probably even say that must be the stronger person and this person walking in Christian freedoms is the weaker. Paul then throws himself in this group and says, I myself am fighting for Christian freedom. It's not about food or drink. It's not about this or that. It's about Christ and his freedom. So instantly... The tables were turned on me when I started reading this passage that for us to step into an environment and say that this peripheral thing 
even though it's so true, must be for you is not the way to approach it. Okay. Secondly, the thing that I think is incredibly interesting is that he tells the people who are the mature to not judge the people who keep things holy, like days and food. So this is a definite curveball, and this hit home for me. Because who gets frustrated with who? As much as the people who are like, you really shouldn't be dancing in the sanctuary. This one time I was at a church service 10 years ago. I wasn't dancing. I hate dancing. So just get that. I wasn't dancing. There's no connection there. That's, like, that's another version of hell for me is dancing in front of any person. But I'm in, I'm in the sanctuary. I'm on stage with the worship team at a church down the street. And we start singing. Um, what's the song? Uh, what? Say again. Not I went to the enemy's camp. No, I th- no. I think the people thought I was in the enemy's camp when I sang this song. I was singing Journey. You know, what's their big song? Uh, yeah, we just all started singing that. Like, it was a good, fun moment. And this couple ran into God's sanctuary and smited us. It was like, how in the, loudly, how could you stand on that stage and sing that before a church service? And I was pretty upset by that. I was confused by the, the physical, this physical building. is. I didn't get it. So I didn't want to fight with them, so I swallowed my pride. But I wanted to judge them. I even talked about them badly, I think. Ten years ago, I'm a totally different person. I never say negative stuff. I was like, it was don't stop believing. You can probably relate that to Christianity. Like you, could, you could like Christianize that. But it really affected them. I could see for that whole day, this, these people were like, how in the world could our youth pastor be singing Journey, the devil's band, on a Sunday? <laughs> and it was confusing for them. And I didn't know it then, but in that situation, I didn't feel any. And to the core of my convictions, I didn't feel anything about how that was wrong or that it needed to not happen. And I knew that my salvation was not in any way in jeopardy. Nothing about it. I knew it. I could, I'm still confirmed. What I didn't know, that there I was tapping into something in them that really challenged every part of them, that typically I would have said, they just need to get over it. They're religious. And I believe this passage to be saying, don't do what everyone wants you to do, but make room for that, right? This whole new generation that I clump myself in with, the millennials, because I'm 10 years to this side of them, we have the distinct honor of honoring those that came before us. And if they say that something is sacred because it means something to them, we don't have to... There's no way to say that without saying it really poorly. Without pooping on it. There's a reason people have the beliefs that they have. And if someone believes that, it's not my job to show them how wrong they are. It's my job to make space for that person and sympathize with their plight. That's us in 20 years, millennials. We're going to be doing the same thing. Do you understand that? We're going to be so frustrated that these kids, those kids back there, are going to be doing some crazy stuff in church. And why would you do that in God's house? Why would you say that? And they're going to be like, because we know the answers, idiot. We're the new generation. God always gives the new generation all the best stuff. No, no, 
we have the distinct honor to look at people who think differently, even in spiritual settings, and not tell them that what they believe is stupid, but to make space for it because we're the church. So here's my challenge for, for the people from the other camp that do believe certain things are sacred. And why would you ever do that? Like that you, you can hear yourself saying this month, why would that even happen there? Why would they think that? Why would they do that? Do they not understand? No, we don't. I'm speaking from their perspective now. Like it, we don't. We don't understand. We don't. And the best way to get us to not listen is tell us all the rules about it and care less about who we are and make us do it. The best way for you to show us is by doing it yourself and remaining in unity with that community. That's the best way. If you want, if you want, not, I'm not talking about me anymore. Like for me, the honest truth is I, I want people to probably use more self-control. I'm not from the millennial generation. Like I think it's important that we show that we're not consumed by fleshly desires. Like there's a lot of people who talk about that's religion, but we're not. We're not controlled by our flesh anymore. So if your flesh, whatever your hunger is coming out of your flesh, we've got to be able as Christians to go, what is this hunger and what is it satisfying? And for me, a drink of beer, or it wouldn't even be beer, it'd just be hard liquor because beer is like pointless. It's too much liquid. Let's get less liquid and get done, right? That's just that, another, that's me. Like, what's that leading me to? I know for me it's leading me to an escape. Why am I trying to escape? I don't feel good right now. Why don't you feel good right now? I don't know. Give me a beer. That's the truth. What's your hunger leading to? What's your hunger leading to? Be able to define what, what and this passage is about hunger. It's about meals, right? Like what you eat and don't eat. We can all relate to hunger. All of us have hungers. Every one of us is hungry right now, right? Not really. Like my kids are always starving. They're never starving. But we all know what hunger is, and we can all point to the hungers that aren't about food. And then we can all decide what those hungers are actually craving and then satisfying those hungers when someone sees it, does it glorify God and does it make me love my brother more and them love me more? Because we have the distinct job as New Testament Christians in this century for right now to share the gospel and nobody cares anymore what we say because everybody knows the gospel. Everybody knows about Jesus, right? Everybody knows the plan, knows the cross, all of it. Nobody cares about those words anymore. They're looking for someone who can show them. Can we show them? Can we show a millennial generation who believes everything is everything? Even that word everything means everything. And they have like a message about everything. Can we show them instead of with no's and yeses, with our self-control? That they mean more to us than the rules. That we make space for them without having to change them. Can we show them our self-control while making space? Because, as this passage says, God is the only judge. When we cast judgment, for whatever reason, against any of our brothers, it's a little bit like two of us being in court, the judge is over there, and me looking at my brother and saying, I'm sentencing you to 10 years in prison. He'd be like, you're not sentencing me to anything because you're standing next to me and there's the judge and you're not him. But thank you for your concern. <laughs> that's what it's like in a body when we start. That's why these passages talk about do. You don't know what makes the Lord angry? I did some research this week. 
It all has to do with abusing your power to others. It has to do with legalism. All the, you can look it up. Look up the passages about Jesus being angry. He's angry at people for acting like they're one way and making others act good. He's angry at people for following the letter of the law but not following the heart of the law. He's angry when people are manipulated. He's angry when people are abused. He's angry when people hurt children, especially. That's a big one. He gets angry when we decide for others how they're to be perfect and we give no grace. Pharisees. That's the gospel. That's, so Jesus comes in and he sits with those people and he makes spaces for those people. And those people, one by one, all of a sudden start wanting what Jesus is offering because he's not saying, do this. And he's not making sure himself is first. He's willing to sacrifice his hungers for the other, which is clearly his life, which we all want, which he puts on a cross and says, This is a picture of self-control. My needs are less important than your needs. So, in whatever you do, in whatever hunger is coming in, label what it's for. Have the wisdom to say, is this more about me or more about my brother? Because to be Christian is to be in love with brother and enemy. Let me read you a couple passages. If you could pull up for me, pretty please, Galatians 5, 13 through 26. I'm going to read it to you from up here. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, which is just good. Like, Christianity is that. It's not these rules. Christianity is you are free now. You're free in Christ. You're free to be liberated, to be alive, to be passion-filled, but to be Christ's. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather to serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Ah, that's crazy. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But you are led by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, right? It goes through a list of things that are really about our taking for ourselves. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies. Lots of crazy words in there. Kids Day, awesome. And the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there are no law. I'm not going to ask you to read the next passage, but there's an even further passage in Luke where it talks about with self-control in the Holy Spirit, you can have someone, an enemy, smack you in the face and not respond. With self-control, not only just in here, you can have an enemy walk up and smack you in your face and through the gift of the Holy Spirit in you, which is the fruit, not respond. Nobody in here has that in them already. Nobody. So self-control is this idea that you submit to the Holy Spirit's leading and then follow that lead. That's self-control. Does that make sense? So today, 
It's not self-control for the sake of self-control. And that be, that be the end would be just, it's self-control is a tool to help keep the kingdom flowing through the church. Because when they look at me and you, anyone, me and you, if you're a part of a different church that's a different denomination, when they look at us and we're doing this, right? They don't see the kingdom. They won't see the kingdom. And so Jesus died on the cross for you, John 3, 16. Who cares? But when they see that there's distinct differences in us, but we've made space for one another, they see the kingdom of God. That's when they see the kingdom. So today in you, label it. Question, where are you in this passage? Who are you in this passage? Who are you angry with? Right? And this is not talking about a brother walking around saying, Jesus is not the way to heaven. That's different. We still make space for that person. We don't get angry. The core of our gospel is that. This is about you saying, I see that you're different. I'm making space. Who are you in this passage? Worship, you guys can go ahead and come up. If you guys wouldn't mind closing your eyes. More importantly than who are you, who are your others right now? I just want to challenge you guys. Like, Maybe some of you just need to delete Facebook. It's a stupid thing. Like, What does it do good? Maybe when you're posting, ask, what is this leading to? And if it's just like, here's what happens when you gather all the people who think like you and you make a post like that. You already get the high fives of the people that agree with you and you just make the people you're trying to reach angrier. It's pointless. It's stupid. Even if you feel like if it's, if it's from the right place. You win nothing by doing that. And in person as well. Demanding to be heard and demanding someone else to change. That's not going to do anything for you. So who is your other and how can you love them? Be confident about what you believe. Be convinced if you believe it's got to be this way. Be convinced if there's Christian liberties. But let love be greater than liberty. Today, let your love be greater than the Christian liberty that you've been given. Make space for the other. Christianity is about the other. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The last thing I want to ask you. Do you know that self-control is horrible for you and you have no, you just say it like it is, person, and you have a wake of stuff behind you? I truly believe that if you can be honest with him and with community, that there can be some freedom for you in that. God, we know that self-control is your spirit, so we invite you, every bit of you, into this room and these people. So Holy Spirit, begin to work in this room, begin to move in our hearts. Thank you for Christian liberty, God. We're alive in you. We're not bound by laws and rules anymore. We're bound to Christ Jesus. We are slaves of Christ Jesus. We follow and imitate him daily and have communion with him all day long. In the morning and in the evening, we are with our Savior who guides us. Help us to be guided, God. I just, I'm just going to start throwing stuff at you. God wants to heal a relationship or two in this room. Somebody is angry or resentful towards someone else. Somebody needs to let somebody off the hook. Somebody feels like they're being controlled. That's not the Lord. He wants to give you freedom.
somebody's angry right now, God, I just pray that you would bring in to those people right now what they need. Just be invited. Father, I invite you. I'm just a human. And through your peace, God, we want to be upbuilders, encouragers. In Jesus' name, help us to see this community in Smyrna and our families the way that you looked at this passage. The other, in Jesus' name. If you guys could stand with me. We're going to have some prayer teams available on either side of the stage. And if you'd like prayer for anything, really seriously, anything at all, I would love it if you let us pray for you. Anything at all. So I'll come up and close in a minute. If you need to leave, that's fine. Let's worship the Lord for a second. Pray. Come and make this house your home. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.